there's a posuk that says, Kikare velacha hadava moed befichachavavavachala soiso. And this posuk is in Devarim. So it means literally, for this thing is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. There's a question straight away that comes with that, which is, it's referring to the Torah. But the experience of most people is that it's not a very near thing in our heart to, to serve God. We don't necessarily all feel deeply connected with, with what that might entail. It seems contrary to our experience. And then the question is, well, maybe it was just referring to the generation of Moshe, where this posuk was said in the time when the Jews were in the desert and they were experiencing this insular experience of everybody being in a unique shelteredness where they had divine revelations and they saw Hashem. So maybe, maybe this was why Moshe said that it's very near to you and you're mad and you have to do it. And then he goes on to say that the Torah is eternal and that means that everything that's recorded in the Torah is for all generations and therefore it's not possible that this was just talking about Moshe's generation. There was a lot of stories that happened in the desert. There was a lot of stories that happened in Mitzrayim. There's a lot of stories that happened between Adam and Chava and the time that we were about to go into Eretz Yisrael. Thousands of years, but there's only very specific ones that are recorded in the Torah. Mm-hmm. Only the ones that have lasting lessons for us and instruction for us for our lives are recorded. So if this is recorded, if this sentence is recorded, there is something for us eternally. It's not just a generational thing. So... Again, in our experience, we see that it is not a very near thing to change one's heart from worldly desires to a sincere love of God. Because when it's talking and saying in your mouth and in your heart to do it, it's referring to thought, speech, and actions. The thing is very near to you in your mouth, which is speech, and your heart, which is thought or emotion, that you may do it is action. But the one thing, the thought, the thought that then impacts the heart, so on an emotional level, that is not our experience. Most of us experience that we have deep desires for things that are in front of our face. Our hearts are very strongly swayed by what we see in front of us. But to see a little deeper and to see that actually, what is it that I love about this child? It's really the divine spark within the child. It's really the, the connection with God that I'm craving here. It takes, it's not so easy. It's not so easy. It takes, it takes inner work, work, right? It's not easy at all. So it starts with a thought, then the heart, and then... For this thing is very near to you, which is referring to the Torah. Okay. In your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So it's very near, as in it's very close or easy, accessible for a person, for for us to access Torah in our mouth and in our hearts that we may do it. But, But to speak it, okay, fine. To do it... Not so easy, and neither to neither to feel it, neither to feel it. So what is it? What is what is going on here? And then he goes on to build on it, and he says, and that even more so, it says that what does God ask of you? This is this also a sentence that Moshe says. What does God ask of you? But to fear Him. The Talmud quotes is fear of heaven a small matter. It's almost like just saying, what is, I'm just asking a small thing of you, just just to fear God. You know, like seriously, that's all you're asking. Not not a simple thing, right? Not only that, usually fearing God, it's easier for a person than loving God. Most of us have some form of experience of fear of God before we have an experience of love of God. And then he builds on the question even more and he says that we've just learned in the beginning parts of Tanya that only actually tzaddikim have control over their hearts because they have transformed the animal soul consciousness, which begins as an impulse in the heart, a desire for something in the heart. They've transformed it. So, well, we've also learned that we're not all tzaddikim and we're not all here to become tzaddikim. So 
we, we don't all have control of our heart. So what on earth do you mean that is near to you in your heart and in your mouth to do it? What is this referring to? So he goes on to say that you may do it. The words that you may do it refer to a love which merely leads to the fulfillment of a commandment. This means the hidden desire of the heart, even if it does not burn openly like a flame, yet it can still lead one to fulfill the commandments. So what, what he's referring to here is that there's a certain amount of mental capacity that a person has, which we've spoken about when a person's nervous system is regulated. A person can understand from an intellectual perspective, especially when we learn about the greatness of Hashem, and we take a time to really integrate the idea, I can actually understand intellectually that I want to do God's will. And once I understand that intellectually, what happens is, is that in a, if I'm in a regulated state and I understand that intellectually, it gives me enough capacity to actually choose my actions, to regulate my nervous system. So let's just take a minute to understand what it means, the greatness of God. Just take for a minute. We've spoken about this many times, but we never can speak about it enough. Do you remember when you were asking the question and you, you said, I just hope God was over there and I'm over here, like leave me alone. Don't see what I have, don't see me because then you might take something away from me. And I think this is a really important place to start with because I was thinking about that comment that you made and I was thinking that it's a little bit like saying to your heartbeat or to your breath, I don't want this heartbeat and this breath. Get away from me so that I can live my life. <laughs> can you imagine saying that? No, because you know that your heartbeat and your breath is your very life. But this right? works with every other relationship. Like I'm yes. very good at avoiding people and situations. Yes, exactly. And that is how I get out of things. Right. But well, that's what happens when we humanize God. But that's the easiest thing to do. To humanize God. To humanize yes. God. yes. It, the easiest thing to do is to humanize God. And the only, we don't necessarily have choice over the emotions that we feel in our heart towards God. But we have a choice whether we learn the true definition of God or not. Whether we, yeah. spend, we choose to spend time learning the true definition of God. So I'm going to give you a little bit of something to think about as far as the true definition of God. And we've spoken about a lot of things in the past. I'm just but, saying, no, just making me think that we yeah. have to finite God. And that's why we humanize Him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if we think of Him in an infinite way, and just yeah. like a love that's boundless, yeah. it's so much harder to think about it. Right. right. Even in a positive way. Right. Yeah. Also, things that we don't like, it's in the grade two, you are the bigger, you're the strongest. I'm all good. Like, don't look at me, I won't look at you. I'm not that great. Don't give me the strongest. Like, that right, kind exactly. Of that kind of thing is very, very triggering for a person because we, we've taken God and we've made him in our image versus understanding that we actually are created in God's image and God is imageless. That means we are imageless. That means we have infinite potential and possibility. We're not stuck in anything. But what happens is, is that. In our minds, we try and make sense of God, so we put him into a few of our boxes that we put people in, right? So just take, for example, this is one, one idea about God. If you think about the difference, what is the difference between action and speech as far as the complexity and the depth and the possibility? Actually, right? you don't speak. Action is you do something, but it's a very... speech, you could say anything you like. Mm-hmm. Doing, you can't really do anything. You can talk and talk and talk and talk. Yeah. You, can, you can talk about and describe things in beautiful and complex terminology. Mm-hmm. Action is a very kind of one-dimensional, basic... It takes very long to do. It could take very long to do. Take a moment to think about the quantum differences, like the massive differences between, let's say, action and speech, and then speech and thought. Think about how many things, for example, you can think about in your mind and how you can invent eloquent conversations in your mind, but then when you actually try and say them, 
how they get stuck and how you can't really portray the depth of your thought process yeah. and you can get stuck and then even less so in action and even less it's very simple and one-dimensional then the, the speech is more complex because you can express something but then the thoughts are even more complex and then the emotions the raw emotions in their state are even more complex and even more energy behind them and even more depth behind them and richness behind them and then take all of the subconscious wisdom and understanding and DNA that a person possesses, which is even more than we can possibly imagine, because based on that subconscious DNA and, and, and wisdom that we carry, we create then emotions from that and from that thought and from that speech and from that actions. But if you just think of these five stages, these five stages, you can't really say even that action is a continuation of speech and speech is a continuation of thought. They're just completely different. And then each one has a depth and a richness and a dimension that the other one doesn't have. And each one becomes more and more expanded and more and more complex and less and less able to contain and like something that you're holding, right? Yeah. So you can't, you can't explain sometimes how you're feeling. Yes, right, exactly. You might be feeling something and then to put that into words might be very difficult because you've got two steps here. You first have to think about, what am I feeling? Yeah. If, if I can capture that in a thought, I may be able to capture it in speech. And what about the other way around? Like, also, sometimes we say stuff that isn't necessarily anything yeah. to do with what we know. I mean, we can... Yeah. Okay, so take that into consideration and just think about these five steps. Now, if you were going to continue, you know those games in the maths where we add the pattern, continue yeah. the pattern? So another step of depth, another step of expansion, Right? And then another, and then another, and now infinite steps, okay? Yeah. Infinite steps means not a million, not two million, not a billion, not a zillion, but continued amounts, more than that, is God's wisdom compared to our wisdom, yeah. okay? Just take a minute to think about that. The question is then, why on earth would we call our wisdom and God's wisdom the same name. Why do we use the same English word if it's not the same mm -hmm. thing? The answer is, is because our wisdom comes from that, like a domino effect. Eventually, mm -hmm. all of these infinite steps create something that we call wisdom. Oh. So yeah. instead of it, it's really, instead of us thinking of it of our wisdom to God's infinite wisdom, yeah. we should think of it as God, of God's infinite wisdom, we have some of it. Exactly. So what happens is, is that if you start thinking of like God's wisdom, the amount of depth and dimension and expansion and, and availability and energy and possibility that is God's wisdom is not something that our brains can even fit in. We only live with these five different stages of expression. But God is like, take those leaps, take those steps, infinite times. Now again, like I said, I'm going to say it again, infinity is not a million times more or a zillion times more or a gazillion times more. It is ongoing so ongoing depth and wisdom now the thing is is that then we have to bear in mind this thing that actually god's wisdom is not added to him like our wisdom is added to us so like us we're born with no wisdom really i mean we're born with a little bit of information and dna and subconscious programming but as we grow we learn new stuff and as we learn new stuff we develop our thoughts and we develop our emotions and we develop our speech and we develop our actions based on our information so you can call that wisdom a compound it's added to us god's wisdom is not a compound of god it's not like there's god yeah. and then he learns new information and he adds more wisdom to him god is his wisdom god is 
this information and it's completely him in the sense that it can never be added or taken away from him. So it's an all-knowing depth and richness of wisdom, being the most, the most intelligent person that has ever existed in this universe, the person who discovered the atom or discovered whatever it is, is literally, their wisdom is like Lego bricks. It's like nothing compared to a complex engineering structure. It's nothing compared to the complexity and richness that God is and his wisdom is. And if we just take a minute to think about that, like there's this all-knowing being <clears throat> that is so completely all-knowing and wise in a w- wisdom that I cannot even fathom and my thought process is literally not even ABC as compared to that. It's like so basic. And that being is knows me just like I know, for example, if I stump my toe, that it hurts because we know ourselves. We know our pain by knowing ourselves. We know our joy by knowing ourselves. God knows us by knowing himself because we are all one with God. And therefore, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows every single layer of our being. We don't even know every layer of our being. We're just stuck in becoming aware of all these profound epiphanies. We're like, oh my gosh, I just realized the reason why I feel this way is because of this experience in my life. Oh my goodness, I have so much clarity now. God knows it all already, <laughs> right? We're the ones who forgot, right? He knows it and he knows exactly what our strengths are and our weaknesses are and our challenges are and what we're experiencing now and what we're capable of and not capable of. And he's infinite, infinitely loving and infinitely good in the sense that every single thing is taken into consideration and held and made space for for each and every single one of us. And just like I breathe and I need my breath and when I can't breathe, I feel like, help, I need breath. That's how we, God breathes through us. God is not over there where I have to protect my stuff from him. God is the very life force that pumps through my being, that makes me alive, that gives me the ability to think and to speak and to feel and to love and to enjoy life and feel expansion. This is what godliness is. And it's only because of my position that I experience Hashem through filters and therefore I experience myself to be separate from God. Mm -hmm. I only experience myself to be separate from God because it's like a one-way mirror. I'm on the other end of the mirror and if I would experience myself the way that God experienced me, I would not experience myself as a separate entity. And therefore I would not have free choice. It says that all of this, in all of the spiritual worlds, everything experiences itself as a projection of divine light. So what that means is that if you have a projector of an image on a wall, and you have the projector over there, and if you look at the projector, you can see the light shining from the projector. You can see it expanding and going on the wall. And you can see that this image on the wall is solely there because there's a projector over here. And take the, turn the projector off, the image just disappears. It ceases to exist. In all the spiritual worlds, all the high spiritual worlds, everything that exists, every created being is a bit like this projector. You can see the created being, let's say the image on the wall, and you can see its source in divine light, in more and more revealed aspects of divine light. So you can see, let's say, for example, like a massive sun, and then you can see the ray of the sun, and you can see that it's shining in this place, and it's creating this thing, and you can see that's an angel, that ray of divine light there. And the more higher worlds, you would say, the more you're getting closer to Ainsaif, which is the most revealed expression of divine light. Because everything's going through filters and becoming more and more dense and dark and to, to come to this world where you actually don't see. And in this world, you don't see the projector and you don't see the light and you just see the image on the wall and you think that that's a real thing and it has existence unto its own. Like reality, like it exists outside of God, it exists outside of its source. And the reality is it does not. And the only reason why it's here is because it's being constantly willed 
into existence by God and every single moment is an opportunity for us to grow and to exercise our free choice and to develop our relationship with him and and to create and to express ourselves as unique and individual beings in this world and when you start to think about God in this context you really start to realize that like you are part of something that is just so much greater than yourself and it's so much greater than your experience of whatever it is that you're experiencing right now and you're being held in this experience you're just being held in that place and the more that we spend time consciously thinking about these things like chewing that over in our mind the more we may not come to feel an open expanded passionate love for god in our hearts but we will come to an uh, an intellectual love in the sense that i will want to do god's will due to intellectual love of god in my mind like ultimately i know i understand that this is this is a good thing for me to do and i want to do it an intellectual desire to do it to do the, a specific mitzvah do a specific action in this world because this world this world the most important component of this world is action for us the reason why we come into this world is because so that we can do mitzvahs no other worlds you can do mitzvahs but in other worlds you can have amazing spiritual experiences and you can see divine light and you can bask in it and you can experience the joy and the pleasures of that but then why does the soul come down to the world where they cannot see that they feel completely cut off from their source they've completely hidden where we experience trauma and pain and sadness and grief and all of these emotions because they're all the consequence of experiencing the shells and the blocks which we call klipa right i live in a world of klipa which means i live in a world filled with grief and pain and trauma why would i do that because the soul senses and knows the value of doing a mitzvah and like we've spoken in past classes the value of doing a mitzvah is where i actually can hold god in my hand whereas when i'm when i'm let's say a, a, an angel or a soul in one of the spiritual worlds and i see the projection and i see the source of you know like i see the image on the wall i see the light i see the source i can't hold that source it's way too vast it's way too expansive i cannot grasp it in any way but when i come into this world because everything is hidden and everything is condensed everything is like you know like the dna of god is within every single thing that is material matter i can actually hold it within my hand because when you hold you know the the dna of something you hold the entire thing let's say you hold one skin cell in the palm of your hand it contains the whole dna of your entire body and so too god everything physical that is is in this world that is basically the dna of god like i can actually hold it i can hold god in my hand whereas in all of the spiritual worlds i cannot possibly begin to hold infinity in any form of hands whatsoever but as a physical being in this world i have the capacity and especially when i do a mitzvah what i'm doing is i am i am actually giving a gift to god i am doing an act of love for god i am holding him literally hugging god every time i do a mitzvah and this is that's why that all we need in this world our emotions are blocked our hearts are blocked and it's on purposely blocked otherwise we would not be able to experience ourselves as separate entities we can work to unblock certain aspects of our experience but it it's in order to do to do the specific mitzvahs to do those actions because every time we do those actions we create cosmic ramifications and we are giving we are experiencing and interacting with god on in an intimate level that we can't as a soul in the high worlds this is why we come to this world and then he goes on to say again that the mind by virtue of its inherent nature is master over the left part of the heart and over the mouth and over the other bodily organs which are the instrument of action this is true of everyone except for someone who's in a state of russia which we'll talk about soon but again we're coming right back to this place of we have the capacity to regulate our nervous system 
Now I'm going to say this again, this pasuk, Mokshalat al-Halev. Mokshalat al-Halev does not mean that I have a thought and has the capacity to transform a desire that I have in my heart. So let's say, for example, I want that bracelet so badly, I desperately want to steal it, and I have a thought, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to steal. That's not going to be enough to stop me from stealing that bracelet if I really, really want it badly. Just talk to an addict. Mm-hmm. I want the alcohol, I want the alcohol. You know it shouldn't have the alcohol, it's not good for you. It's not enough. It's just not enough. What we need is to learn how to regulate our nervous system. Regulating nervous system begins in the mind because it's awareness. Self-awareness or prefrontal cortex function, which is noticing how dysregulated I'm feeling, is what enables me to control my heart. If I become aware of, wow, I desperately want alcohol right now, what's going on for me? I can really experience my dysregulation. I can experience how uncomfortable I'm feeling on my own skin. I can experience my desire just to feel peaceful, to honestly open up my heart and say, wow, I feel so much dysregulation and pain right now. And all I just really want is to feel connected and loved. And the more aware I become, the more I am aware that I'm experiencing that, the more I have choice over what I'm going to do now. If I'm not aware of how uncomfortable I'm feeling on my own skin, if I'm not noticing that I'm feeling comfortable on my own skin, if I'm not noticing where in my body I'm feeling so uncomfortable, where the urges and breathing, slowing down my breath and grounding in my body, then I will be reaching for that drink and drinking it before I even notice what's going on, right? That, that's basically how it works. The more regulated... So Marshall al-Halev means that the mind has the capacity to regulate the nervous system by choosing to become aware where am I now? I'm feeling really noticing. I'm feeling dysregulated. Where am I feeling it in my body? Choosing to breathe, which is a mental choice. Choosing to ground and notice where I feel myself in my body. Then I have the ability to choose to do right action, even if it's painful, even if it's hard. If it's really painful and hard to do right action, I can still breathe through it. I can still stay connected through it. I can still dialogue with God through it. I can say, God, this is so hard for me and I'm doing this anyway because I'm doing this as a gift of love for you, right? We can do that only in a regulated state. In a dysregulated state, forget it. We can't, we're not, we've absenced ourselves from the relationship. So then he says that everyone has the, the choice to do this except for a Russia, right? So again, we've spoken about what is Russia, what is fragmentation. When a person's in a state of fragmentation, what happens is, is that the heart is in control of the mind, which means that I impulsively respond to things and I don't have choice unless I go through the process of teshiva. And again, we've spoken about this. It's really important. The process of teshiva is the process of returning back to the depth of who we are. And that process, if a person is in a really blocked state, of a person's in a state where they're impulsively reacting to life. There's a reason why they're in that state in the first place. There's a reason why they got there. And in order to be able to find my way back to myself, I have to recognize, I have to confront the grief and the brokenhearted and bitterness that I feel in my heart that got me to the place in the first stage. The reason why I got to feel so numb and so stuck and so impulsive and so fearful is because there's something that I'm, a grief that I'm afraid to face. There's a loss, there's a sadness, there's something here. And in the language of the, of the Alter Rebbe here, he says that in order to shatter the klipa that were created by the Averis a person does in the sense that I do something against God's will, but it's also the way I interact with klipa snaiger in the world. The way I interact with the reality of the world. Do I interact as a separate being Then I'm trying to like approval from people around me? So everything that I use, my house, my clothes, my money is to gain approval from other people. But how did I get to such a dysregulated state that I don't have a sense of self anymore? 
How did I get to that place where I'm, I'm judging other people and talking freely on, about them in negative, derogatory ways and survival of the fittest? How did I get there in the first place? How did I interact with it in the first place? Because I was feeling obviously something that so 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 terrifying for me I, I lost my way and he says that in order to shatter this clipper which forms a curtain or an iron wall that interposes between me and Hashem creates a blocks around my heart and feelings of disconnection and spiritual desensitization how are these clippers shattered by means of a contrition of heart and bitterness of soul over how disconnected I am to really feel the sadness and the grief of what it means to feel and live in a state of disconnection to, to feel the sadness of that and as the Zohar says of the verse, the sacrifice to the Almighty, Elohim, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, to mean that through one's breaking his heart, the sitra achra is shattered and broken. And this becomes like a, a sacrifice to God. And what happens when we actually face our grief is that we become more vulnerable and open. Like our hearts open and we, become, we feel more connected and we feel more spiritually sensitive and more open to something. And this is what he says is the, is the definition of teshuva which is the lower letter hay rising from its fallen place, which we've spoken about in the past class. Do you remember when we spoke about that? The hay. Okay. I'm just seeing if it's here, and if I'll explain it. The hay represents the shechina, the, the shechina in exile. The shechina is basically the way Hashem expresses himself in, in a revealed state, in, in reality. So, for example, if you can see divine light, that's, that's shechina. So... What the divine light that we can see in the world is anything that grows, anything that moves, anything that, that has any form of life within it. So the, the shechina that is within, let's say, a flower is its ability to grow and its ability to, to, to die as well. Because if, if it's alive, it's alive, and then it, right? So therefore, the life was energy in it. An animal, the shechina within the animal is the ability for it to move, to procreate, to enhance their environment as best as they can, and they survive. So every, every time they're doing that, they are expressing the shechina of the divine light. A human being is the expression of thoughts and feelings and emotions, right? So shechina is the, there's different levels of expression of divine light in the world, depending on the vessel. The vessel of an animal expresses the shechina that can shine through an animal, the expression of a human being expresses. So shechina is the revealed state of divine light in the world. And therefore, it is, it is our experience of, of divine light. Whereas there's shechina revealed? Because, because you can, in, for example, when you hug someone, you feel the warmth of their body. Oh. Yeah? Or you like feel, or you feel your heartbeat, right. you feel your breath. That you, it's, it's revealed, right. right? But there is divine energy all around us that we don't experience through our senses. That is the hidden world of God, right? And it's equal in this world as in the world of Atsilas and all the higher worlds because none of the worlds have the vessels to be able to experience and tap into it. It's like we have radio waves all around us and we don't necessarily, unless you have put a radio here, you're not going to pick up on all the music and all the talk shows and everything, right? Mm -hmm. But it's there. It's the same thing with this divine light, the, the, the hidden world of God. It's, it's there all around us the whole time. We just literally don't have the equipment to pick it up. But the things we do have the ability to pick up, that's shechen. That's, that's, that's all the life force energy that we experience all around us. The birds, the birds are tweeting and the ants are crawling and the, the trees are growing and the wind is blowing and the rain is and the sun is shining. This is all shechena, but different, different forms of shechena is basically shining through all the different vessels and expressing itself through, through elakim, which is nature, hateva. The word elakim is the same gematria, hateva, which means nature. So when Hashem looks, expresses have himself... Have mistaken it for nature? Yeah. Well, elakim is nature. Right, so the name of Hashem 
Elohim is how we describe nature. And then, and then we say in Aleinu, we say, Vyodata yoem bashe voice elavavachoki Hashem hu alakim, yutke vavke, which is Hashem reveal like the miracles. Whenever we see a miracle, we say, oh my gosh, that was amazing, that was a miracle, that was, I saw God's hand, I was hashkacha pratis, you know, all of these stories. Hu alakim is the same as nature. Was it? You think this is God and nature isn't God? Ain't nothing else exists outside of God. It's exactly the same God that made this miracle that's also the one who's constantly making nature happen every single second. It's not a different God. Same God. Ain't nothing else exists outside of this God. God is everything. He's the life force within everything and he's also the concealment of the life force of everything. Just like the mushal that he brings in Sharachar Vemunah is a snail and its shell or part of the snail. Right? So the covering up of his light is also part of him. Right, except it's like the sh- the sh- the shell of the snail and the snail itself. Right, that this is basically like like it's all part of the snail, but it's different parts of the snail expressing itself in different ways. So just like God is covering up His light and He's revealing His light in small amounts so that we can contain it and not be completely dissolved by it. So it's a constant filter. It's like He's expressing and He's covering, he's expressing and He's covering. But the cover is also part of Him, and it's also part of His light. So it's all Him, really. Right? There's anoid, nothing else exists outside of God. We exist within God. So, basically, the process of, when it, when it says that the uh, to shiver is the process of opening up the heart, of allowing that life force, the Shekhinah, to flow within us, to expand. You know, when a person is really honest about their experience, and they really honestly open their heart to Hashem and say, like, wow, I really feel so disconnected. I really, really deeply feel so disconnected, and I really just want... A connection with you I really just want to feel something feel something help me feel something you know from that kind of place and then to check in with in my body and to recognize like how deeply I actually want to feel something there's this there's a very deep grief that comes with recognizing what it's like to live from such a numb state and how much sadness and I've been trying to control my life from such a strong place because I'm just so afraid of losing things that are important to me because I just don't know that you're there God and it just so much pain that comes from just not knowing that you're there, God. That open-heartedness really allows a sense of grief to come up, a broken-heartedness, or an open-heartedness, they would say, uh, when our hearts break, they're breaking open. Mm-hmm. And then light can shine through us. And then we start to actually feel the flow again. And from then that place, we can, again, begin to learn to regulate our nervous system and, again, begin to have pechira and choice. And from that vulnerable, more open state we can breathe again. So when a person repents, as in they go through this process, they free the Shechina from exile, and they allow the divine spark within them to affect his animal soul and his body once again, and to begin to serve Hashem from this place of love and awe of God, so that I can then feel emotions in my heart towards God. I can then feel God in my heart. So the thing is, is that the divine soul, if we're going to just break this down, and we've spoken about this before, but it's like really, really important that the divine soul shines through every single person just like the sun shines through many windows right every human being is like just your body is like your window and god is shining his light through you now sometimes that light shines shines into the core and the depth of our being and then from there to shine out through our animal soul through our bodies animal souls our conscious personality and our instinctive survival instincts but thing is is sometimes it gets stuck because if i over identify with my animal soul consciousness and I'm trying so hard to play God's role, to take control over things that are not in my circle of control, to, to, to defend myself in ways I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily in danger. I mean, there's so many things that when we try so hard, because I, I feel so unsafe, I feel so disconnected, I feel, then I'm really completely cut off from my divine light. 
And slowly when I work through those layers of my animal subconsciousness and I work through my limiting beliefs and I work through why am I afraid of that? And what is my opportunity for growth here? And what will happen if they don't like me because I make this decision? And what am I afraid their response will be? And, and is it possible for me, for me to hold this boundary and be kind at the same time? Or does it mean I'm a total failure or I'm a terrible person if I'm someone sees me making a mistake? And and going through all of those, peeling all those layers. And the more I peel back those layers, the more the divine light within me, again, shines through my animal subconsciousness, shines through my body. And I'm able to actually feel palpable, tangible emotions in my heart. And those emotions then become the fire within me that actually enables me to want to do acts of, acts of love for God, to do mitzvahs, to do the mitzvahs assay, and to not want to do the, the loisa assay. So again, the more our hearts are open, the more emotions we feel, the more we want to. And that process, in summary, is one of starting by meditating about God, really knowing and learning about God on a regular basis, on a daily basis, thinking about God in the context of what God truly is, not on the context from the context of what us as humans put God, paint God in our own image, really understanding God from God's perspective, understanding the context and relationship I have with God, and then, and then from that place to notice if I have the ability to regulate my nervous system and make choices to do acts of love towards God from an intellectual awareness of understanding God. And if I'm not able to do that, it means I'm in a dysregulated state and I first need to start with the shiva. I need to start with undoing the layers and peeling back, like what is it like for me to live in such a numb, disconnected state? Like what's going on for me? Peel back those layers, get to a place where my heart actually I actually feel something. I actually feel the grief of what I'm living. And, how, and I, how do I want to live? Start a conversation going with God. Start that dialogue going again. And then the emotions flow again. And then the divine soul can flow through the animal soul, can flow through the body again. And then we become living, breathing, live human beings. It says that Arusha, one of the things he says in his chapter is that Arusha is like he's dead in his lifetime. What that means is like he's emotionally, eternally feels dead. Dead inside, right? So, so, so when we're feeling in that state of death, we need to really stop for a second and realize that we need to crack that shell. We should crack that shell, work through those blocks to get to that place where I have a soft, vulnerable and open heart once more. And to only, I can only do that in conversation and in dialogue with God if I have an awareness of the truth of what God is. So it's interesting, the more you try, the harder it is. Mm-hmm. It's like when you let go. Mm-hmm. Right. From a very young age, I always remembered that God was something you had to try very hard to get the attention of. I would think that, like, if I want to, you know, if I really need something and if I really want something, let's say money or health. So, God, okay, I'm going to say to Hillen, the whole to Hillen for 40 days every single day. Yeah, that will get your attention. That will change your mind, right? Like, literally, again, if you think about this consciousness, it is literally a business transaction with God. It is not an open-hearted relationship with God. It is a humanizing God and in that tit-for-tat manipulation, right? It's a very human response. This is what we do with people. If I, you know, if I give you a ton of, like a bribe, I'll give you a ton of money. Just let me what I want. You'll get me that good room. You'll get me that good view. You'll get me, right? And <laughs> it's totally misunderstanding what God is. But what I, what I came to understand, which was like, so it literally just changed things from night and day to me, was that God is already there. As soon as I open my heart, it's flowing through me. God is the energy of all things. And I don't need to try hard to reach God and get his attention. His attention is focused on me all of the time in a loving, compassionate state. All I need to do 
is just fall back and let go of trying so hard, fall back into the arms of something so much greater than myself and recognize that I'm being held and God's got me and that all of my fears I can open, I can, be, I can question. So I can go into a regulated state and say, why am I so scared of that? What is that? What's going on for me? What, what does it mean about me if this and this, if people think this about me or if I make a mistake or if I don't know the answer to that question or if I, you know, what does that mean about me? Is it true? And what am I truly? And the more questions, open questions we ask, the more we fall back, like literally fall back into God's arms. God's right here. I just need to, ah, you're right here. Not like hard over there. The, the anxiety and the desperation actually blocks the flow so much because when I'm so desperate, it's because I don't believe he can hear me or see me or know me. For example, like as in somebody's feeling sad, is it like the sadness like they're missing God or loneliness? Somebody's feeling lonely. Feel lonely because you feel disconnected from God really. I may feel disconnected from the God within another human being. A lot of yeah. times when we interact with other people and we feel lonely in our interactions, it's because we it's our shells interacting yeah. with their shells. There's no actual genuine heart-to-heart open communication of love and acceptance and space for the other person to be so I may feel like I have to protect myself I have to put walls up because if I say something that you don't like then you're going to reject me and I'm going to feel shame because it's not about the essence of who I am interacting with the essence of who you are which would be the essence of God interacting with the essence of God mm-hmm. it's just about like how can I stay safe in this relationship which leads leaves a person always feeling really lonely in a relationship and, and if we acknowledge that the essence, the deepest part of who we are, like the most expansive and loving and joyful part of who we are, like a small child before they develop self-consciousness. What's so interesting about small children before they develop self-consciousness is that they have absolute divine light shining through them. And you see that because they're so present and curious and open and loving and, and they don't have any self-consciousness. And we're so drawn to that, right? Because it's just so present and loving. And at the same time, they're extremely instinctive. They'll just cry when they're hungry. They'll do what they want. They want to throw something in the floor. They'll throw it on the floor. So they're, they're absolute divine, absolute animal but there's no integration. There's no the, the right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The divine soul and animal soul have not begun to integrate with each other, which is the whole purpose of, of being. And the beginning of that process is where we develop self consciousness, which is really the beginning of self awareness to become aware of myself. But then when we become aware of ourselves, we then interpret that means I'm bad. Like if I become aware of the fact that someone else is disapproving of me, and so instead of just recognizing like oh, that person doesn't like that act, I become aware of how I feel, I just interpret that to mean I'm bad. So our beginning of self-awareness actually becomes the beginning of our self-consciousness and our feelings of self-hate, guilt, and shame. But ultimately, the goal is to work through that stuff so that we can actually integrate fully and be as present and loving and joyful and curious and open about life as that one-year-old and two-year-old, and yet have complete control of our nervous system and not to be impulsive about everything that we want we just do it on the spot just because but without any guidance from our understanding so it's about integrating the two and that would be a really open-hearted state of being now if I, if I feel like I can't be that and I have to cover myself up with more shells and more protections and a certain layer of social pretenses or things like that then I can always recognize of course I'm feeling lonely of course I am and acknowledge that god you're also probably feeling quite lonely right now because how many of us really authentically turn our hearts and speak to you my loneliness is a reflection of your loneliness ultimately so at least we can empathize with each other you can empathize with god over that it's really lonely living around people that are hiding behind their shells it's a beginning of the conversation. 
And every conversation that we have with God opens our heart a little bit. So being a therapist, you really get to see behind those shells a lot. That's the best bit. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing yeah. to see the authenticity of people. It's really... It's really the depth. The depth, the, the beauty. And there's so much, so much goodness in people. There's so much deep desire for love and joy. And even people who, let's say, come across with a tough exterior of not caring... Ultimately, it's only because they care so much. Like, you can get to see that. I keep telling my daughter, she keeps saying, I don't care. So I said, you know what I don't care means. It means you care very deeply. (laughs) She goes mad with me. Sure. But Victor Frankl speaks about, you know, that by letting go, you you end up triumphing rather than, you know, if you think, because he speaks about his book, he really thought it wasn't going to be a success. And so he just let go. He's like, I'm just going to let whatever and mm-hmm. it ended up being such a success. Opening up our hearts and just being a channel allows for success to flow through us. But we try and we think it's from our battery life and we think it's because of our exertion. What happens is we, get, we feel so blocked. We get artist block. It doesn't flow. I can't express it properly. I can't because I have to tap into that deeper the deeper core where that flow is just and it's the same thing with our love like the deep core inside of us is just infinite love and it's just flowing but when I think I have to give you something from me now mm-hmm. it can feel exhausting it can be like I've got no more love to give because I've just been giving and giving and giving and you're draining me and then we get stuck into your draining me and what would happen if I just opened my heart and allowed yeah. God to flow through me rather than taking ownership of and it's very freeing because then you also don't take personally your failures instead of like oh I'm such a failure you go okay what's my opportunity for growth what's happening here interesting yeah, and it's, it's hard to get to that stage mm-hmm. it's like you have to work through all the layers you have to work happens. through the layers it's you have time. to work through the layers you have to work through that inner chatter that those inner thoughts you know, those inner judgments you have to become aware of what your limiting beliefs mm-hmm. are and what you're living by and slowly slowly through questioning them you, you peel them, the layers yeah, away. Exactly. And the days you don't have yeah, control. Yeah, you have no control. If you think you have control. No, but it's like a process of learning that you're just, yeah. nothing's in your control. Right. And right. You, don't, you don't have like any really like, say in the math. And, and, right. and like, well, you say things are out of your circle of control. Yeah. That's like the most liberating thing because it's, I can choose whether I want to show up or not. But I can't choose what happens when I show up. Right. right, or if anyone else shows yeah. up. Yeah. Or if. Also, you can try set yeah. a stage, set a stage, set a stage, and at the end of the day, you can only just be there, and you can't control whatever, whoever, you know, around you decides to make a party. You can, your control is you can make the party, but you do not know what the atmosphere is going to be like. Yeah. And you don't know how people it's are going to be acting at the party. Yeah, and handing it over to a collaborative affair bringing God into the picture. I can only create the infrastructure and how it ends up going and the experience each individual person has, which is always so different for every person. Yeah. Totally not in my control at all, yeah. which is an important learning experience. Or even to think back about it afterwards and be like, look, I'm so concerned about X, Y, and Z. Mm. I'm like, God got me through that. He'll get me through this as well. Like, I didn't, I, I, th- I thought it would, like, you know, never be okay and I wouldn't make it to school in time and like because it would all come late you, like they got there yesterday on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday they'll get there on Thursday and Friday as well like wh- whether you stress about it or not they will get to where you'll get to where you have to be everyone will get to where they have to be whether it's where you think like what you think is the right place to be or whether it's not but like eventually everyone just you know so the best way of getting there is in the most calm 
regulated state. <laughs> but it's getting there, it's not like the stress and the, and the screaming and the... Yeah, it's and a huge learning curve. Yeah.